Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 269, Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday night live at the T-Mobile Arena. You got the undisputed lightweight belt on the line. I mean, two guys that have truly been paying their dues for for years, man. I mean, we grew up watching both these guys. Now they're fighting in an undisputed title bout, not to mention... You're dealing with the guy with the most knockouts in lightweight history, Dustin Poirier, versus the guy with the most submissions in UFC history, Charles Dubronx Oliveira. This fight should be madness, Shaq. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as of right now, I truly think these are the two best lightweights in the world. Um, Charles Oliveira and Dustin, I mean, look at the, the the roads they've had to get to this point. I mean, both guys have taken setbacks. I mean, Charles, I mean, you know, we already know about his setbacks, and now it looks like he's finally putting things together. We know he's one of the most, if not the most dangerous uh, guy in the world. Cause I mean, now his standup is getting better too. And, you know, we already know about his ground game. And then you got Dustin Poye, a guy that rises to the occasion a lot. I mean, this guy is look at his resume. I mean, it speaks for itself. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm super excited for this fight because I mean, you know, lightweight still in my opinion is the, the best division in the UFC. And, I just think like whoever wins this fight, I mean, look at all the great fights he has ahead of himself. You know, you got Islam and um, Dariush about to fight. Then you got uh, Justin Gaethje in the horizon. So, you know, I'm super excited to see who wins this. Got a rising contender named Fiziv uh, out there, too, man. I, I, think, mean, I hope you know, they get Fiziv at Ferguson or something like that. <laughs> out with the old, in with the new. I mean, man. These up-and-coming lightweights are something else, but at the top of the mountain, Dustin Poirier versus Charles Dubronx Oliveira, I mean, you can read off the kind of records these guys have. I mean, Charles Oliveira, most bonuses in UFC history. Um, I mean, the guy's just, he's truly something else, and it's amazing to see him blossom because we saw his UFC debut against Darren Elkins, that triangle armbar. We saw that subsequent fight against Efrain Escudero. When I first saw this guy, I mean, he seemed like a future world champion. We've never came out here and criticized Charles Oliveira's stand-up. I've never criticized his jiu-jitsu. It's always been about the mental catching up with the physical, and I mean, the David Tamor fight, he got dropped, comes back, destroys him. The Michael Chandler fight, he had to overcome a little bit there, too, so I think the mental has caught up with the physical. And as a result, Shaq, you're looking at an undisputed world champion. Yeah, I mean, Charles has always had the potential. He, honestly, it was never like due to a uh, <laughs> it was never due to like a, a skill thing. It was just, you know, he'd hit that wall. You know, you go so hard with the submissions and then you hit that wall. And then, you know, that's what a lot of jujitsu guys, that's what their weakness is, you know. So it seems like he's figured that out. But uh, I think this is going to be the ultimate test on Saturday. Yeah, because I mean, like. Even dating to back in the day, there was this fight between Dustin Poirier and Eric Koch, and Dustin Poirier drops Eric Koch, and then he gets caught in one of the deepest triangle chokes I've ever seen in all my years watching this sport. He survives that. And this was like maybe 10 years ago, maybe slightly less, and that just shows that, you know, I've seen him in these compromised, compromising situations, overcome them. But then, you know, he had some setbacks, whether it was Korean zombie getting caught by submission, whether it was against the great Habib. But, man, he made Habib work. I watched it last night. Like, even though it was pure domination, I can't deny that. But, like, you know, he made Habib work and it showed that, like, you know, a couple... You know, maybe a year or two more of just working on this side of the game. And I think he's ready to re-challenge for an undisputed belt. That's exactly what's going to happen. So, I mean, both these guys, I see them being Hall of Famers. And uh, this should just be pure violence. I could see them having a trilogy or something like that down the line. Yeah, 100%. I, I know Justin Gaethje doesn't hope for that. But, you know, uh, 
I mean, for sure, man. I got the utmost respect for both of these guys. You can't deny what Charles has done. I know the the um, I know some people are saying the opponents might not have been, you know, uh, what Dustin's been fighting recently. But still, man, he like there was times where he was getting subbed by Ricardo Lamas and and uh, Anthony Pettis and stuff like that. So you know what he's where he's at right now is a big drastic difference in my opinion. Yeah, and, and if he beats the great Dustin Poirier, well, no one can say anything about his level of competition anymore, right? And on the flip side, Dustin Poirier, I got to say, I've been waiting a decade to see this guy touch undisputed gold. So let's see if third time's the charm because, you know, first time against Max interim, second time against Habib undisputed. Let's see if this third time at a championship opportunity is where he finally realizes his uh, paid in full dream. So we're going to break down this whole car start to finish. Um, going to give a shout out to our sponsor, Prize Picks here in a little bit everybody do us a huge favor smash that like button hit that subscribe button retweet our tweet let everyone know that we're live right now and check let's get down to business my man because first up in the flyweight division we got a matchup between jillian robertson she's nine and six taking on priscilla pedrita cachoeira who is ten and three and currently they got Jillian Robertson, minus 360, the comeback on Priscilla Cachoeira is plus 300. Look, I agree with Jillian being favored, right, man? I think she's got a big edge on the match. She's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. We've seen Priscilla taken down multiple times. It's just when we're talking minus 360, when we're talking minus 400, I want all my bases covered. And I don't know for a fact that if Jillian eats some of these shots that Priscilla can deliver, that she's going to necessarily like it and be able to stay on her game plan. What's your opinion on this fight? Yeah, Jillian should be favored. She got the most submissions, I think, in that history of that division. Granted, she was one of the very first people to uh, be in that division. But, man, I like this girl, Priscilla Cachoeira. I think she's, I'm not going to say underrated, but I, I think that kind of similar to a, a fight, Um, what was that fight? Andrea Lee versus uh, Calvillo. I think one person's momentum is going very up, and I think the other one's is going down. Now, I'm not going to say Jillian's, done or but i i feel like same thing with calvillo like she's figured out she only has a plan a and it's you know trying to get the uh submission but the the thing where i think she might struggle with here is priscilla's not no quitter like priscilla had to take a few steps back like she even said in her post-fight interview um after uh mazani she was like when she fought valentina and mario mario yamasaki really is a piece of shit but he was like she said that she felt like she got the lion uh the lion beat out of her you know like she was so kind of like you know she was undefeated at the time and she's like she really felt like she got the lion beat out of her so her confidence just went all the and that fight should have got stopped way more sooner like you can't you can't let somebody just take a pummeling like that but but i still think it shows her heart she comes back she loses to molly in england lost to uh Juana carolina and you know now she was finally able to uh get two stoppages in a row and uh jilly in her last two fights i mean it's a it's a consistent thing with me for Jillian. If she if everything is smooth sailing the whole way through, yeah, she 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 can win and get her sub. But the second there's any resistance, I mean she I mean she does quit. Look at the Tyler Santos fight. Now I know Tyler Santos is top five, sure, but even the last fight with um, Maverick, you know Maverick's skill set. I'm not gonna say it's you know it's just it's still developing. It's still you know um, needs improvement. And I mean like. She got on top of her a couple times, and the second they get back up, she just starts getting teed, teed off on, man. Even, like, she could have won that second round, but when they stood up, 
I mean, Maverick just started going off on her, man. And I feel like, you know, these girls don't have the uh, that one trait that Priscilla has, and that's KO power. Like, there's not going to be no, you know, pitter-patter for three rounds. It's going to be a knockout if she touches Jillian, man. Like, she's not going to let this girl off the hook. So I think the line's way off. I don't think Jillian should, I mean, unless she's fighting, like, uh, I don't view Priscilla as a scrub, man. She, she's uh, switched gyms from Andrade's gym to uh, Figueredo, and, it doesn't even matter if, if she's training with Figueredo or not, man. She left that gym because she said they had uh, Andrade and Carol Rosa. She was like, you know, kind of like a, a, a third fiddle almost. She wanted a, her camp to be all about her. I think that's a very good uh, decision for her, as we've seen the last two fights are vicious KOs. So I'm actually going to take Priscilla Cachoeira for the upset. I think Jillian probably will get the uh, takedown early, but I, I see her hitting a wall at some point, man. I, I feel like there's a little bit of a size difference, an intensity difference, a uh, power difference. She's got to get this sub early because she leaves Priscilla hanging in there. Priscilla's got 14 minutes and 59 seconds to knock her out. And, and I really don't think that Jillian can take these shots. Like, this is not Maverick or uh, what's the other girl? Uh she fought uh tyler well tyler santos is top five but in terms of the punching power man i think priscilla has these girls beat and uh you remember what eddie alvarez said you know <laughs> tell him whatever eddie alvarez <laughs> said. i mean he said he watched this was like a long time ago like years ago he's like i watched all the jillian's fights and i came to a theme that if she can't get a first round sub she quits you know so um, we'll see what happens, man. Uh, she better get this up. Real quick, on a side note, speaking of people changing camps, um, you saw what my boy Henry Cejudo did. You see who he's trying to recruit? I mean, I know he's got Fig down there and John John Jones. Uh, I don't know if he's – I mean, he's still down there, I guess, believe. So. Guess who the newest addition they're trying to get in there is? Who? Jiri. Jiri. Oh, oh, man. That's, if, he gets on, <laughs> if he gets on Neuroforce Fight one, ready, Jiri. <laughs> If he gets on Neuroforce, <laughs> I mean, I already think he's going to be the champ personally. I think that style he has is way too tough to deal with. I mean, you saw what happened to Reyes. The only issue is you just, just keep your hands up a little bit, Jiri. Like, please. Like, Dude, fight ready, Jiri, training with Bones and Cejudo. Like, damn, so, uh, yeah, Jones is heavyweight now, so he can train. And all the scientists down there. Yeah, I mean. I mean, y'all see the type of shape uh, Figueredo is in right now? I mean, he doesn't look far from weight at all. Like, he looks within like five to ten pounds you know where in the past it's like 20 you know so we'll see i mean figueredo literally left brazil he's not doing the brazilian barbecue he's living at henry cejudo's house yeah so uh, i think i expect a different result this third time out between them but back to this fight man look look i definitely think jillian robertson's going to come out here and get the takedowns i mean she's a black belt in jujitsu she's got the most submissions in that weight class i mean she's been doing her thing on the mat it's just the fundamental difference between the two is if you go back to priscilla cachoeira's ufc debut against valentina fucking shevchenko um i mean look yeah it might have been a beatdown, but you know what i you know what i learned about priscilla she's willing to die in there and i can I can say wholeheartedly that, you know, Jillian just doesn't share that same mentality. I mean, go back to the Macy Barber fight, man. I mean, Jillian, when she's doing great, when she's on top of you, when she's going for the submission attempt, she does her best. But, you know, when she starts flopping to her back, when things start to not go her way, when you start to attack submissions on her, when you start hitting her with some hard shots, you know, she whatever for whatever reason, she doesn't like that. She doesn't respond well to that. So I see this being a situation where, 
you know, Julian's going to take her down, like I said, possibly submit her, possibly ground and pound TKO. But if that does not happen, they get back up and Priscilla starts landing some of her, you know, she comes from that, from, from the Jessica Andrade school where they they wing those big looping. So they do this. <laughs> they they wing looping shots, man. And also, you you think about her background. I don't need to really mention what it was, but let's just say that like she's been through some shit to where that's why you see in that Valentina fight that there's no quit in this girl whatsoever. So it really comes down to can Jillian get her out of there early or consistently maintain that top control and not give her any moments. I lean Jillian. I just when we're talking minus 400, I want all my bases covered, right? And my bases are not covered in the toughness department. My bases are not covered in the striking defense. It's only covered on the mat. And that might be enough, right? So the pick is Jillian, but at the window, I think it's a dog or pass situation. So pick is Jillian, but if I were to bet, it'd be like a half unit shot on Priscilla. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a match between Randy Costa. He's six and two, taking on Tony Kelly, who is seven and two. Currently, they got Randy Costa minus 170, the comeback on Tony Kelly. Depends where you look. I see a plus 160. I see a plus 150. So basically, uh, Shaq, I mean, for the first, for five to seven minutes, this kid Randy Costa is hell on wheels, man. It's just that he's one of those guys. Um, he's got a bit of a, you know, a little bit of that Worley Alves in him, man. I mean, like, <laughs> it, it, he's going to go out there. And, and if you just watch all his wins, he literally destroys everybody in the first round. The two times he's been past the first round, um, he's been finished by Brandon Davis and most recently by Yanez. Um, so it's really about Tony Kelly. I know he's a durable guy. I know he's tough. He's from Louisiana. Um, he's been paying his dues for a while. I've seen him take some hard shots, never been finished. And also, to his credit, he's been five rounds before. And the reason I bring that up, it's not just, oh, he went five rounds, therefore he's going to win. It's just that, like, Anytime Randy Costa goes past the first round, and it's not because again, look at the shape Randy Costa's in. It's not using it's not like he ain't out here running his miles. It's just more of a thing where uh Randy Costa, if he can't get you out of there, he starts to wonder why is this not working? Like, why is this guy still here? I don't think I don't think he likes getting hit. I think I think Randy Costa loves winning. I think Randy Costa loves knocking people out. I just don't think Randy Costa actually likes the process of the actual fight itself. Whereas I think that's the fundamental difference between him and Tony Kelly. But the other fundamental difference is that Randy Costa is a lot more athletic, a lot faster, probably the more talented guy. It's just that talent and heart are two different things. And I think that Tony Kelly does have the heart in the spot. So he's going to have to go through what Brandon Davis and what Adrian went through. Like get your ass beat for these first seven minutes, but you stay in there and Randy's not going to know what to do. He's going to fall apart. Uh, listen, Adrian Yanez didn't knock him out. It, 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 <laughs> like to, quote, like <laughs> to, to quote Cub Swanson back when he fought Charles Dubronx, I don't think I knocked him out. I think he quit. Um, and, and then the the Brandon Davis one, I know he was only 4-0. We were there in Atlanta, but like a no, no hooks, rear naked choke. So it's just one of these things where it's like, like, just stay alive for seven minutes, Tony, and then you're a very live underdog to come out here and win this fight. I think he does have the grit. I think he does have the tenacity, and I think he takes over late and gets this upset. So give me Tony Kelly. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough fight. I mean, I agree with pretty much everything. Um, I mean, the first round is going to be rough for Tony for sure. I mean, this, this punch-kick rhythm that uh, Randy Costa has is very hard to pick up and on. He's early. long. I mean, the jab... 
is just, uh, you know, when he hits that wall, man, I think he came into the UFC a little bit prematurely, uh, 4-0, and he's having to fight, you know, good guys very early in his career, like Giannis and, um, you know, I guess Brandon Davis, I guess. but is it, Brandon's uh, experience. He's experienced, yeah. Um, but it's just, man, Tony Kelly, he's got to actually finish him. And, uh, you know, from his fight with Kai Kamaka in his debut, I mean, yeah, we, we definitely see he can fight for uh, – 15 minutes he even had a fight in lfa back in the day with aguilar that i saw five yeah i think that was the five rounder and i mean he showed his heart as well but he was also very premature in his career at the time so yeah i definitely could see uh tony kelly getting a comeback victory but man randy costa's got a man up one of these days man i mean because dude he looked good against Giannis that first i was like dang that yeah you know, it's hard to pick up on them kicks after uh like his rhythm is funky man um I think he's going to pull this one out, though. I think he's going to finally go three rounds. And, I mean, he's got to do it at some point. But uh, maybe maybe he just can't. I don't know. But I think Tony Kelly, to be honest, I had a bet on him. Uh, I forget the guy's name that he fought. But he's from, like, uh, Jordan. Or Al-Kazi. Al-Kazi, yeah. By the way, he's on a win streak outside the UFC. Oh, that's, that's nice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I really wasn't that impressed with Tony Kelly's performance. Um, I know he wobbled him a couple times, but other than that, I was... But it was a lot of grappling, and yeah. Randy doesn't shoot. Yeah, true. But, I mean, I, I really thought he, you know, I really thought he could not uh, finish that guy or just done a little better, you know. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go with Randy Costa. I think he's going to finally go 15 minutes. He, I mean, he's got to level up at some point i just think he's way more talented to be honest but uh you know like you said sometimes talent doesn't have heart so i wouldn't be shocked if it went the other way but i just think he's too sharp too fast too long um for tony kelly i'm not that impressed with tony kelly striking i mean i know he's tough and i know he's willing to to stay in there but you got to be careful with randy early like look i mean Giannis, who you know a lot of people are saying is a a top boxer in this division a a better boxer than poirier quote unquote (laughs) and and jose Aldo. um but yeah i'll even say rob font too but uh i think that uh I think it's a big discrepancy in speed and distance and and, and uh, things like that. So let's see if he gets this uh, first round knockout or not, man. Uh, let's see. Or let's see if he can go 15 minutes. Uh, but Randy Costa is going to be my pick. Let, let me say some other things about this matchup. Um, Tony Kelly uh, was dealing with a rotator cuff surgery. So we'll see how that impacts him. But then also a couple of days ago, I heard an interview with Randy Costa uh, with Brendan Fitzgerald, UFC commentator. And it sounded to me like Randy doesn't really like it wasn't his goal to be a fighter it was actually like you know how he holds the picture of his buddy it was his buddy's dream to be a fighter which by the way shout out to randy that's so admirable that you you know give your buddy shine like we we, we truly respect it but back to the mentality talk um randy was talking to brendan Fitzgerald about how like you know back in his amateur days when he was getting his hands wrapped up he told joe lozon he started crying he's like dude i can't do this like dude i, I gotta go like dude like like this isn't for me and then he goes out there and knocks the guy out in 50 seconds right so w- what i'm trying to get at is that i still no matter what have questions if this turns into a real fight where randy's getting hit too or randy's tired it's one one going in that third round who has to dig deep that's where i think kelly's got that louisiana toughness about him but i mean i can't sit here and debate with you i mean randy is the longer guy randy is the more talented guy randy's the more athletic guy and he's very unorthodox with his setups i'm just the mentality is where i got all my questions at so let's see let's see what happens 
Next up in the featherweight division, this should be interesting, Shaq. We got Ryan Hall, who's eight and two, taking on Derek Minner, who's twenty six and twelve. And currently, they got Ryan Hall minus two hundred. The comeback on Derek Minner's plus one seventy. So, I mean, Derek Minner, he finally won a decision against Charles Rosa. We thought he maybe got over the hump, but then the very next fight against Elkins does the classic Minner goes balls to the wall, has nothing left, gets finished. And in this fight, it's like. Can Derek Minner switch it up? Because, like, he's a guy that's had so many goddamn fights. Can he switch it up, come out here, you know, strike with Ryan Hall, avoid hitting the mat? It's just that Derek Minner's strength is on the mat. He's got 22 wins by submission, and he's the kind of guy that he doesn't give a fuck who you are. I mean, I saw him in there with Herbert Burns. He was trying to take Herbert Burns back. So that, to me, just lets me know that he doesn't care that he's in there with Ryan Hall the credential jujitsu practitioner he's probably going to go in there and try to grapple with him too and i think as a result he's probably going to get submitted so i'm curious to see what happens if these guys don't grapple and it becomes a stand-up fight because then you got the spin kicks of ryan hall versus i guess more you know meat and potato striking by Derek minner but this should be fun give me ryan hall the uh some kind of leg lock yeah it's a tough fight because there's no way in hell i'm playing uh ryan hall at minus 200 because <laughs> I mean, that last fight was honestly an embarrassment. <laughs> like, he looked, I mean, even, I'm, I'm pretty much, I mean, he's got a specialty, he's a leg locker. Minner's had a long, extensive history of whooping guys and then uh, getting tapped out. But he does have some good wins, like over everyone's favorite, Terrence McKinney. Uh, he uh, tapped, you know, he's got a bunch of submissions. I know he's tapped out. Clay Collard? Yeah, he's tapped out plenty of guys, like, that have been around, so. Um, he's also a submission specialist. It's just this this guy just uh he does dumb things like but at the same time, I don't think it's gonna take much to knock Ryan Hall out. Like I think that Ryan Hall has a foot out the door. Um, I think that I mean these jujitsu guys, man, they don't really they don't really need this. I have a a, a feeling that Derek Minner might be a little bit hungrier. Um and let's not forget, man, Darren Elkins. I know he lost to Ryan Hall, but I think he was in a tough time. But listen, Derek Minner, uh, Darren Elkins is like the king of the comebacks, man. We, I mean, he's done that to plenty of people. <laughs> ask Mirsad. <laughs> yeah, ask Mirsad. Ask uh, MJ. MJ. I mean, there's a bunch of dudes he's done. Came. Uh, I remember Diego Brandau back in the day. I oh, mean, yeah. This dude was getting smashed on like bad 10-8 first round. And then is, is my boy Cub about to drop him and then get choked out? It's a good chance. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Ryan Hall, too, just because, I mean, this guy's history. I mean, it's, it, I don't know if he's smart enough to stay out of the leg lock, but from a betting perspective, it would be men or pass to me. Next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Alex Perez. He's 24 and 6, taking on Matt Schnell, who is 15 and 6. And currently, they got Alex Perez minus 320. The comeback on Matt Schnell is plus 260. So, listen, Alex Perez. Hard calf kicks, good wrestling, one-punch knockout power, made it to a title fight with, with Figueredo. Got a lot of respect for him. Matt Schnell, decent footwork, calf kicks. Um, his hands, you know, for point fighting standards are, are pretty decent. Also opportunistic jujitsu game. I mean, you've seen him catch a couple people with some nice guillotines. Um, it's just my, my issue here is Matt Schnell kind of getting bullied, you know, like he did in that last fight against Bonsarin. I think that that's where Alex Perez can kind of take advantage and then there has been some chin issues from Chanel uh, in the past that, you know, we, we got to be very aware about. It hasn't happened in a while, but that doesn't mean it can't happen again. My only issue with Alex Perez is that 
you know, sometimes he's a bit of a meathead and he's been caught with multiple submissions. It's not just a Figueredo fight. So, you know, he shoots in on a bad takedown and Schnell could snatch something up. But I, I think that Alex kind of has him a little covered everywhere and especially in the physicality here. So give me Alex to either knock out Schnell or, or grind out a decision. I, I'm leaning towards the decision, though. Yeah, I like uh, Alex Perez. Look, Schnell's talented, tough, also from uh, Louisiana. It's just, man, I feel like every time. But look, the odds are, you know, way in uh, Perez's favor. Maybe this is a good time. But I just feel like every time he fights like he's fighting a top five guy, you know what I'm saying? He just gets dominated. Like even the last one, Bontarine, like Bontarine missed weight, looked like shit. And I mean, he still went out there and dominated Schnell. And, uh, you know, Alex Perez, I mean, yeah, I think he's top five. I mean, he lost to Benavidez and um, Figueredo. That's it, right? In the UFC. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, in the UFC, I mean, he lost to two legends. Um, yeah, other than that, man, he's pretty much dominated everybody else. Beat Formiga. Um, Beat Jose Torres back when Jose Torres. Yeah, was undefeated. Yeah. Like, absolutely put him in the ground, too. Um, so yeah, I, I'm gonna go with uh, Alex Perez. I just think he's better everywhere, stronger, more physical. Uh, I think he can submit Schnell too. I mean, he's. I remember he put a uh, what's his name to sleep. Um, uh, who did he put to sleep? Oh, Jordan Espinosa. Yeah, that was a vicious submission. I mean, Espinosa was snoring. Real uh, quick, you see Adam Antolin beat Alex Perez. What what's a prayer choke? No idea. <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask my Probably, professor what yeah. the hell that is. Adam Antolin beat Casey Kinney too, right? Yeah, that was yeah, the yeah. controversial one, but he he still he still got the dub. Yeah. So, all right, both on Alex Perez there. So next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Aaron Blanchfield. She's seven and one, taking on Miranda Maverick, who is nine and three. And currently, they got Miranda Maverick. Depends where you look. Minus 130, the comeback on Aaron Blanchfield's plus 115. Um, I, I got to be honest with you, man. Um, I bet on Miranda Maverick, both her last two fights against Jillian and against Macy. I thought she had decent performances in both. Um, she's young. She's getting better every single time out. She's very strong. I mean, she she's a farm girl, so, she, you know, she's got that natural strength. Um, and she's a very cerebral individual, you know. I think she's... I forget exactly what she's studying for, like to become a doctor or some, some shit like that. But basically, she's she's a very intelligent individual. But I got to tell you what, man, I was pretty damn impressed with Aaron Blanchard. Like, I get she was in there with Sarah Alpar. I understand that. But look how she treated Sarah Alpar. And then also the other thing I like about Blanchfield is that if you look at her regional uh, people she's been fighting, I mean, she's beat Kay Hansen. Uh, she had a very... A closely contested fight with Tracy Cortez, Victoria Leonardo, who's in the UFC, head kick knockout. I mean, so we've seen head kick knockouts. We've seen Americana submissions. I mean, we've seen her go the full three rounds and land a, a, at a high clip. So, I mean, who, who, which of these two prospects do you think has the higher ceiling? Who do you think wins this fight? Um, yeah, I mean, I like Blanchfield. I, I I saw her fight back in the day with Cortez. I mean, you can make a legitimate case for her winning that fight. Um. It comes down to the uh, first round, I believe. And then, uh, you know, Maverick, it's Malik, Maverick, solid, man, solid everywhere, good kickboxing. Um, I, look, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to get too deep into the, because, yeah, I did have a, a bet on um, Macy Barber, but, 
like like I say, man, like you can't be a follower and just listen to DC or you know, and Bisping. I actually think Bisping's good. He just sucks at scoring fights, man. <laughs> he just. Uh, but like, dude, if you actually watch the barber fight, man, it, it's not a robbery. Like, like the second round is what it comes down to, in my opinion. And yeah, she took her back at the end, but it's not 2006 and seven where you, you know, get one takedown and you automatically win. Like, what about the other minutes? Like, if you actually watch, like Maverick did not land clean on Macy besides like a few times. Like she, all her punches were off the shoulders, arms, like Macy was definitely a little bit hesitant, but in my opinion, I just don't think it was a robbery. I think it was a close fight. Could have went either way. If Maverick would have won, that would have been fine. But like to, I, I just don't see it as that type of robbery, man. Like you got to actually watch it. And Blanchfield, man, super talented. Um, I think she has the higher ceiling between the two, but um, you know, everybody's got to take a, a loss at some point in their career. And yeah, you know, don't be a follower, man. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I think that, uh, you know, Maverick, uh, I, I mean, as of right now, what I've seen, I have to lean with her just because, you know, she's fought, you know, um, Macy Barber and, uh, you know, just slightly better opponents. It's not that much, not not that much better. But, you know, I feel like she might have a slightly better kickboxing. Um, Blanchfield, it's tough to say just because, like, this time there's going to be pushback. You know, I think Sarah Alpar was, you know, she got her Jake Paul money and she was, you know, pretty, she was pretty much set. So I think that, uh, I think Maverick has slightly better kickboxing. Blanchfield is slightly better on the mat. Um, this fight kind of just strikes me as like a close split decision, like another, you know, another close fight where you're not 100% sure who won at the end. But I'm gonna go with Miranda Rat Miranda Maverick. I just hope she's still not hung on this last fight. Because she if she is, then it's gonna be uh, detrimental a little bit. But I could see Blanchfield winning. But I just think that Maverick throws a, a lot more on the feet um against, you know, like something like Macy Barber is dangerous, you know what I'm saying? Um I don't think like besides Tracy, I don't think anybody else that Blanchfield has fought, you know, is anything special, man. Um, definitely talented though, 100%, but I think there's going to be real pushback this time. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean Miranda Maverick to win a close decision. Yeah. I mean, look, I could see it going that way, but I'm on the opposite side here. And I like Miranda, like I said, better last two fights, you know, the barber fight all comes down to round two. I agree. Round one, Maverick round three, barber round two, Barbara won most of the round until the end where Maverick took her back. So it's like, what do you favor more? But, you know, rewatching it, you know, at the time I was so pissed, <laughs> but rewatching it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but, and I don't give a fuck what the media members who have yeah, no so idea what, the what they're media, watching. Bro, they're scoring, yo, people are scoring rounds for Rob Font in the media. So, like, <laughs> like, is the, did he lose every round? I thought so. Rob like, Font got his ass beat. He got beat up, dude. Like, what <laughs> round did he win? Like, or people were like saying the I mean it was 48 47 on two cards, but bro, if Wait, you don't think it was uh, I'm talking about Vieira versus Misha Tay. I oh. had it 50 45, maybe 49 46 at the worst. And you know, if you don't think those judges can hear DC in them, man, you know how loud DC and them talk? Like <laughs> they don't they're casuals. They just, you know, if something's close, they're just gonna side with DC. Oh, it was DC, you know. <laughs> He's right, you know, but I think, uh, so what if the media scored it for Maverick, man? Yeah, the media don't matter. The three judges yeah. watching are the ones that matter. Unfortunately, it's like Adelaide Bird and Chris Lee, but so what? Chris Lee scored it for Maverick. I mean, you, 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 <laughs> got, you got to come out here and, you know, 
cap based off what these guys are going to see, not what based off, you know, some some fat media member eating Cheetos. <laughs> Thanks. But anyways, I'm going Aaron Blanchfield here. I mean, Shaq said he thinks it's going to be a close split decision type fight. So if that's the case, I mean, then I think I got value on the plus 135 I took on Aaron Blanchfield earlier this week. Um, I think the striking can be even. I think that Blanchfield has a little more volume, whereas Miranda might have a little more pop. Um, and then on the mat, I've seen Miranda taken down more than once. Now, granted, look, Miranda's a brown belt jujitsu. Aaron Blanchfield's a black belt. My only concern is Blanchfield's a little bit on the smaller side. But, man, I'll, there's something about her I like. I love the aggression. I love that she's willing to work for all 15 minutes. She's tough as nails. She fought, like, some respectable competition outside the UFC. So it's not like this is her first, you know, real test. She's been tested before. So I like what I see. And at dog odds, I'm willing to roll the dice. So give me Aaron Blanchfield to win this decision. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Andre Muniz, uh, Sergio Pano. He's 21 and four, taking on Eric, your boy Anders, who is 14 and five. And currently, they got Andre Andre Muniz minus 140. The comeback on Eric Anders is plus 120. I do see a plus 125 as well. Uh, this, this should be a great fight, man. I mean, listen, uh, Andre Muniz, we know exactly what he wants to do. He's got nasty jujitsu, some of the best in the middleweight division. He's also, I love that blast double he hit on Jacare. And even though he doesn't, you know, throw that much on the feet, when he does throw, he's got some hard kicks. He's got some decent hands. So I'd say, I mean, the guy's had 25 pro fights, so he, he knows what to expect in all areas. And Eric Anders, I mean, talk, uh, talk about a guy who, you know, his, uh, third ufc fight he's already in a main event with machida in brazil right so he's been thrown to the wolves the guys that give eric anders problems similar to pedro munoz uh, are the point fighters and you know whether it was elias whether it was jaco whether it was machida and andre muniz simply isn't that guy we know what andre muniz wants to do and I love Andre Muniz. His jiu-jitsu is so goddamn good. It's just that I think he's going to have a hard time taking Eric Anders down. And look, Eric Anders is a brown belt. Look, he's not a black belt like Muniz. No, no questions asked. If they put on the geese together, Andre is going to you know, submit him. It's just that um, here in MMA, I think Eric's jiu-jitsu is good enough to where he can keep the fight standing or we can, he can survive the bad spots with Andre on the mat and then on the feet. Um, you know, sometimes we complain about Eric not throwing enough. I think Eric actually throws more than Andre Muniz. So I think there's a spot where Eric can sprawl and brawl, keep it standing, land the harder shots, possibly get a knockout, but if not, win the decision. So give me Eric Anders to upset someone I respect very much in Andre Muniz. Yeah, man, I've been trying to tell everyone about Muniz. I mean, I tried to tell you he's better at uh, jujitsu than Jacare, man. I was like, nah, there's a new, uh, there's a new uh, best black belt in in the middleweight division, Anders is very durable. I actually think this is a tougher uh, match than the one he had originally versus the um, South African guy. What's his name? Uh, Duplessis. Duplessis. Yeah. Um, just because Eric's very durable, man. He's very and because Duplessis is in bad spots every single fight, like to well, begin with. Yeah. Well, I just think he's just bigger and stronger. And his last two fights is a, a, a step in the right direction. So, uh, you know, I de de definitely think this is a tougher matchup. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know if this is the right time to play Muniz, but I do think that he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeves in terms of the grappling. And I mean, I'm glad Eric finally left that uh that gym he was at, man, because the Jocko performance was like that was bad. <laughs> I think uh, even uh, some of his other fights, like 
I thought, like, you know, when you look at him and GM3 or him and Jocko, you would think, like, Eric's going to run over this guy. And I always said for a while that he's, like, a middleweight that tries to fight like a uh, bantamweight. But then now he's with Santino. He's with uh, Eddie Child. Like, these dudes are, are, are running this camp now. So I expect to see the best version of uh, Eric. It's a tough fight to pick just because, uh, you know, I agree. I think, man, just look how big he is. On fight night, he's probably going to be, like, in the two somewhere, you know what I'm saying? So it's going to be hard to control a big guy like that down. I don't recall him ever getting submitted, right? Uh, Never. Yeah. And uh, rarely gets taken down, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. He's big boy, um, especially if his mind is turned on to be a bully like the last two fights. Um, it could definitely be problems for Muniz. But, uh, yeah, I would not play Muniz. I don't think this is the fight, but I am going to pick him to win. I just think his jiu-jitsu... Uh, he doesn't have to necessarily get on top of him. He can fight off his back as well. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, this guy's jujitsu is that good, man. Like, you know, I mean, who has Jacare ever been subbed in the UFC? I mean, no, but I mean, Jacare, how old is Jacare? And also, Jacare didn't tap. Got to give my boy credit. Did not tap. Ten seconds left in the round. Probably thought, hey, he, he ain't gonna get me with this shit. And then the arm snapped. You tell me somebody else is that a sub jockery? So I think, uh, and it was in the first round too. Treated him, treated him like a forty-year-old, you know. So I'm gonna go with uh, Andre Maniz. Well, I think he might have to go 15 minutes for this one, but I don't think his stand-up's bad at all, man. I think uh, he can throw. I mean, obviously, you don't want to throw too much with a guy like Anders, but he's very smart in there. Good fight IQ, in my opinion. Um, even one rounds off his back, you know, in, in his uh, debut. <laughs> so, like, we'll see what happens in there, man. But I'm going to go with Andre Maniz. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Bruno Blindado Silva. He's 21 and 6, taking on Jordan, the Beverly Hills Ninja Wright, who is 12 and 2. Currently, they got Bruno Silva minus 345. The comeback on Jordan Wright is plus 285. So, uh, man, I mean, so. For a lot of people that haven't seen Bruno Silva pass his first two UFC fights, you got to go back because, firstly, he's Brazilian. The reason I bring that up is he went over to Russia to M1, won their belt. I mean, he he knocked out Alexander Slamenko, who's you know a dude we've been watching 10-plus years, who's a legend in, in Russian MMA, just in MMA in general. He was a Bellator champ. Uh, he was an M1 champ. Alexander Slamenko has accomplished a lot. And then after that, knocks out Artem Frolov and it was funny because there was a whole thing amongst hardcores where it was like there was Artem Lobov who was 15 and 15 but then there was Artem Frolov who was 11 and 0 and Artem Frolov was at a point where he wins a couple more fights he's about to get signed at the UFC and Bruno Silva derailed those plans in a way where we never heard from Artem Frolov ever since finally comes to the UFC you know deals with some bullshit was supposed to fight Duran win Man, I still wish that fight happened because uh, you already know what would have happened there. But, man, deals with his first two opponents accordingly. Yeah, had to overcome Andrew Sanchez trying to put his head between his legs for a couple minutes. But, you know, there was only one person landing punches in that fight. And only one person uh, got knocked out standing in that fight. So, anyways, he's been doing his thing. Now he's got the Beverly Hills Ninja. The Beverly Hills Ninja is going to come out with some hard shit in the early going. I mean, 
offensively speaking i can't criticize him the guy's got some great techniques he's big for the weight class he's explosive he's a finisher it's just i know he can give it but i don't think he can take it and you have to be able to take it against bruno blindata when he starts ripping to the body when he starts going upstairs when he starts mixing in those disgusting knees bodies tend to hit the floor and i think a naughty i think another body will hit the floor saturday night so give me bruno blindato silva to knock out jordan Wright. Yeah, you know, Jordan Wright looked good his last fight. He put a picket in the ground, I mean, rather easily, man. So I'm sure he's uh, his most confident. But, you know, the fight before against uh, Young Buck, he uh, kind of just was very tense in that pocket. I mean, Joaquin ain't, uh, you know, the tallest guy. Maybe the, the height was confusing him a little bit, but I didn't like what I saw in there. He looked very tense uh, when they were exchanging punches, uh kind of plotty slow a little bit but i know he's got a, a, a you know a good highlight reel of knockouts on his resume from lfa but you know i just think bruno silva is just a different animal man i just think uh i mean his last fight andrew sanchez that's like a good uh prospect test and i mean he could have accepted the takedowns and be like man this guy ain't trying to fight but you know he uh was able to deal with it got his black belt as well after the fight and uh, knocked Andrew Sanchez out. And uh, the Wellington Thurman fight knocked him out as well with the ground and pound. So, yeah, I think he's going to knock Jordan Wright out probably in the first round. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Augusto Sakai. He's 15 and 3. Second on Tai Tuivasa, who is 13 and 3. Currently, they got, depends where you look, um, minus 110 apiece. Um, I also see minus 115 Tuivasa, minus 105 Sakai. So, Either a dead pick him or a pick him with a slight lean on Tuivasa. Uh, what's your take on this fight? I mean, two heavyweights going to go out there. I'd say Sakai, the more methodical guy. Tuivasa has that old school Mark Hunt style, big left hooks, big leg kicks, um, just always down the brawl. Should be a hell of a fight. How you see it going down? Yeah, you know, I agree with the line. I mean, just because Tuivasa, you know, he kind of been getting wobbled a lot lately, but he's tough. You know, he was able to come back and knock Greg Hardy out. Sakai, the last performance was not good against uh, Jarzinho. Um, you know, and he lost to Overeem. So he's got to be hungry. He's got to, I mean, three, you don't want to lose three in a row. Um, it's it's tough. One. I agree with it being a pick him. I can't really see a decided advantage for either side. Um, but, you know, Tui Voss is, you know, on a, on a, a two-fight winning streak. I heard he stopped three-fight three winning streak. I heard he stopped drinking a little bit. I heard he, uh, <laughs> you know, during camp, <laughs> he uh, changed his diet up a little bit. I think he's with in uh, AKA and stuff like that. So um, maybe Tui Vasa is trying. I, I don't think he made it to AKA. He was trying to, but there's some bullshit Travel. going on in Australia. So well, the last few fights he's been at AKA, you know, he could take what he learned there. And um, yeah. you know what I'm saying? As where Sakai, man, that last performance was a little, hmm, you know, peculiar to me. I was like, man, I thought he, uh, I thought he uh, would look a little, at least the fight would be more competitive. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm going to slightly lean with Tui Vasa. Um, I think this one will go three rounds. I think they'll both be, you know, very, not hesitant, but just respectful of each other. And uh, I think Tui Vasa will slightly edge it out. Yeah. You know, I'm actually surprised that you're on uh, Tui Vasa. I thought you were going to pick Sakai, but I'm on Tui Vasa as well. Look, I know that an extended kind of slow methodical fight favors Sakai. If this is kind of a split decision, then you should kind of lean towards Sakai. But 
you know, Sakai got his chin checked these last two fights, and coming back from that, you got to question where his confidence is at. And like Tai Tuivasa is one of the last guys that you want to check if you know, can I still take these shots like I used to? Tuivasa can bang, and he's down to fight with anybody. So, you know, an extended fight kind of favors Sakai in my opinion, but. I think there's a chance Tuivasa might get him out of there early. I wanted to see Sakai kind of get a pick-me-up fight, but, I mean, at the same time, Tuivasa is ranked be- uh, below him. So, in a sense, th- this that is what this is, but tough division, man. Give me Tuivasa. Um, not sure if it's going to be a knockout, but I think he can have some big moments in the fight that sway it towards his... Uh, towards his favor. So give me Tuivasa for the win as well. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a match between Pedro Pedrinho Munoz. He's 19 and six, the young Punisher, the young, how, how, how is my boy? The young Punisher, 35 years old is the young Punisher, uh, taking on the legend Dominic Cruz, who was 23 and three. And currently they got, um, it depends where you look, but currently they got, Pedro Munoz minus 115. The comeback on Dominic Cruz is plus 100. So there's finally a little bit of dog money on Cruz here. And, I mean, I see this as a spot where, look, Pedro Munoz is tough as nails, man. Like, Pedro Munoz can knock people out with one punch. His calf kick game is disgusting. He's got the nastiest guillotine choke in all of the Bantamweight division. He's got the resume to back it up. I mean, he finished Rob Font in the first round. He finished Cody Garbrandt in the first round. Um, he's had, do you remember the kind of beatdown he gave Brett Johns, man? I mean, this dude, Pedro Munoz. And in all his fights that he loses, most of them tend to be pretty, most of them tend to be pretty competitive. I know Jose Aldo put a clinic on him, but man, here's my issue with Pedro is that similar to Eric Anders, for whatever reason, he just does not do good against point fighters, man. Um, I mean, the reason being is, you know, he gets hit six times per minute. Um, and I just don't think you can get hit six times per minute and beat Dominic Cruz in a fight. Look, I know Dominic Cruz, um, you could make an argument that is towards the latter part of his career. I mean, he's already the, is he a two-time or three-time world champ? I mean, bottom line, I mean, this guy has got so many belts at his house. He invented that crazy footwork style that guys like TJ Dillashaw, guys like Corey Sanhagen all emulated. I mean, Dominic Cruz is a true pioneer. Um, and I think that Dominic Cruz is still fighting competitively these days, man. Um, the only questionable you know, performance he had was the, the guard Brandt one. Aside from that, I thought he'd I thought he looked decent against Cejudo. He was just in there with triple goat. And then the last one against Casey Kenny, that was a great fight to go out there and get his confidence back. So the path to to victory for Munoz here is, I mean, he's got to obviously chop down the legs of Dominic Cruz and get that movement start to slow down. Once he does that, go upstairs with something big. But this is in the larger octagon. It's at T-Mobile. It's not at the apex. So there's going to be more room for Dominic Cruz to run and do his footwork. And I I just see Pedro Munoz swinging at air in this fight and Dominic Cruz winning another one of his point-fighting-based decisions. So give me Dominic Cruz to upset Pedro Munoz here Saturday night. Yeah, he does not do good against point fighters. Let's not forget the John Dotson fight back in the day. Let's, um, you know, the uh, Edgar, Frankie Edgar, like these guys ended up coming back on him and touching him up, man. And Dom, Dom already mentioned, I already know what he's going to do. He's going to try to chop my legs down just like everyone does. So I'm sure Dom's prepared for that style. Um, and man, I, I feel like Pedro is a little bit on 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 of a dip. Um, I think he's also towards the end of his career. Um, like, look, if you uh, Frankie Edgar's a legend, a future Hall of Famer, but like you you can't be top ten if you're. I mean, 
I don't want to disrespect Frankie, but that was a bad performance down the stretch in that fight. I mean, he let that lead go quite. That was bad, in my opinion. Um, and let me say something real quick. Had that been a three round fight, uh, the judges would have still gave it to Edgar. If you yeah. look at the scorecards and uh, Dominic Cruz, man, is especially if you're a headhunter and, you know, you're trying to swing big punches at him. I mean, he dodges those like nothing. Even if you watch the Cejudo fight, I mean, Cejudo was struggling to to uh, hit him in the head with punches. I mean, he had, it was a knee that ended up getting him um, and he ended up getting stopped. Now, I know he still thinks Keith Peterson was drunk and, you know, smoking <laughs> Marlboro's out, outside like that. But I, I agree, man. I think he's not going to touch Dom not that much now. Um, definitely is getting older. He got rocked by Casey Kinney in their fight, um, but he was still able to keep his composure and maintain his cool and, and make Casey Kinney kind of look silly down the stretch, man. That third round, I mean, he he taught Casey Kinney a lesson, man. Uh, it was like a, a big vet lesson in that third round. And, and Casey Kinney probably shouldn't have been saying the shit he was saying uh, that week. I know he had a lot of <laughs> shit going on. <laughs> well, you talking about what he said about his coworker? Well, she's not a coworker, <laughs> but at the time, I guess, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Dom Cruz just by being elusive, evading these punches. He's going to eat some leg kicks on, on the calf and things like that, but I think he's prepared for that. Don't forget that title shot when TJ had his legs in trouble. He still kept fighting, man. This guy, Dom, is very, very tough. Um, and I know, you know, he's also said some things this weekend, but he just had to, he just had to speak his mind, man. I mean, I've, I've had to do that too recently, man. Um, the night that DC was commenting, Ketlin and, and Misha, I was like, okay, I, I like this, this stuff is getting, this stuff is getting bad, man. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Dom Cruz to whether it's a split decision, unanimous decision. I don't see Pedro beating them by points. Um, I think it almost might be a situation where Pedro like has to hurt him multiple times or knock him out to win this fight. So I'm going to go with Dom. And, and speaking of the Edgar one, I mean, again, Edgar, one of my all-time favorite fighters, I would never say this with any kind of disrespect, just trying to factually speak and just bring up the fact that, um, you know, Edgar's been knocked out brutally in three of his last four. The one guy who couldn't do it was Munoz and like, which was surprising, was very surprising. I, I thought, I mean, Munoz is a guy that hit Rob Font so hard that Rob Font shot a takedown on the guy with the best guillotine in the division. Uh, Munoz is a guy knocked out Garbrandt. Like, he's got that one-hitter quitter. I was surprised. To, to your credit, it is a drop-down, the fact that he wasn't able to knock out Edgar in five rounds, Shaq. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, you know, I think, you know, Sometimes you get, oh, he's 35 years old now. He's never really evolved like how you would think he would have. Eats um, a lot of punches. Still some from day one. That's all he eats, a lot of punches. And, you know, sometimes these older um, older guys, when, once you hit 35, you, you know, you still you can't react like how you used to when you were 27 and 28. Like back in the day, Pedro could take a, you know, a bat to the head and be completely fine. But, uh you know, he's always struggled, like, even the Aljamain fight, but, uh, you know, he got pointed up, man. So I feel like it's a consistent weakness throughout his whole career. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a match between Josh Emmett. He's 16-2, and two, taking on Dan Ige, who is 15-4. and four. And currently, they got Josh Emmett minus 150, Shaq. The comeback on Dan Ige is plus 130, plus 135, plus 140, depending where you look. Um I'm gonna let you take this one first because I know historically speaking you've been very high on Emmett and you've you know you respect Ige but you've you've questioned certain things about how far he can take it. So how how do you see this matchup going uh, with Josh Emmett's first fight back from a major surgery? Yeah, I mean 
I really don't put that much stock into because I remember he when he came back from uh, the Jeremy Stevens fight where I mean they said uh, where they I mean you remember what happened to him in that Jeremy Stevens fight he got knocked out then illegally need and uh, he came back and knocked out Michael Johnson so he's he's uh you know dealt with these long layoffs before and come back but yeah I've always been higher on Emmett Ige is a tough guy he does shell up very well because you know in that Calvin fight I mean he was I mean he definitely had might have won like one round, but you know he does shuttle up nice and to try to avoid the damage. But he has been dropped, you know, several several times uh, in his UFC career. But he has been more active. I, I think you know, like that last fight where Burgos just showed what Emmett's all about, man. I think uh, he's willing to take more chances. I mean, in my opinion, he's the hardest hitter at 145. Um, not the best striker, but just hardest. Artist hitter with the uh, with the punches, um, and I mean is I mean he's on a three fight winning streak right now, and I mean his volume is pretty good as well. So he can he can swing those big things all, all night long, man. Um, I mean that Michael Johnson knockout was in the third round as well, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I mean he got Mursad out of there in the first round. I just think he's the better fighter. Granted, he's coming off a layoff, but just because I've seen him come off layoffs before and knock guys out. I'm going to pick him to get this win. I think Ige is a little bit of an overachiever. I, 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 you know, I definitely didn't ever see him hitting the rankings and props to him that he did. But um, I like the Edson Barbosa fight, you know, I'm not, I mean, he worked, he definitely outworked him, but you know, it wasn't Edson, you know, he, his, his volumes, I mean, he can be broken very easily. No offense, Edson, a legend of the sport, not trying to disrespect him, but if we're going to sit here and act like Edson Barbosa hasn't been, you know, outworked and broke and broken before, and that's by less, even lesser guys too in the past. So um, I'm going to go with Josh Emmett to knock him out, man. I think if Josh Emmett touches his chin clean, I, I see Ige hitting the deck or, or, you know, flopping and being very hesitant like the Calvin fight. So I'm going to go with Josh Emmett here to to get back on track. Look, Ige is a tough, battle-tested Hawaiian warrior, man. I mean, he's got one-punch knockout power. You saw what he did to Gavin Tucker. But he's he's mainly known for that ground game of his. So, I mean, the offensive traits from Ige I like a lot. It's just some of the defensive things is where I have the issue. He does block a lot of punches with his face. He has a tendency to take off round two every single fight sometimes he'll pull guard those are the kind of things you don't want to see but again he's got a puncher's chance and he's experienced he's been in there he's been in five round main events so you know more than once um got outclassed both times but so what i mean the guy you know he gets back up and he tries again so i respect him a lot the thing about emmett he is incredibly incredibly impressive and the reason being is when you think about a guy with his physique and his fighting style like you look at like a short stocky muscle muscle bound guy and you talk about the one punch knockout power you talk about the fact he's got the most knockdowns in featherweight history shack so it kind of you know creates this narrative well is he ko or bust and i'm here to tell you not only is he not ko or bust but his volume is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, when was the last time you saw a power puncher go out there and attempt 266 strikes in a three-round fight? And you want to take it a step further because historically speaking, like you look at guys that came from that camp, whether it was Chad Money Mendez, and yeah, he's got, you know, at the time, at the time, I know you remember this. People were calling him the Mike Tyson of the featherweight division. Like, uh, <laughs> but I know you remember people calling him that. 
Uh, was he calling himself that? Or? <laughs> uh, people were literally saying some shit like that. But the issue with Mendez would be like he'd have these fast starts. He tend to slow down down the stretch, right? If you couldn't knock you out. When you look at this guy, Josh Emmett, he goes out there against Shane Burgos, who has insane volume, and Josh Emmett's strike output increases as the fight progresses. As the fight progresses, so he lands more in round two than he lands in round one. He lands more in round three than he lands in round two, and he gets the knockdowns in round three. So this is a guy that's dangerous for all fifteen minutes standing and then to take it a step further he's got this wrestling background too so i think josh emmett's a bad matchup for dan Ige. he opened minus 200 he's currently minus 150 i think there's a hell of a lot of value there so give me josh emmett to make a triumphant return um, against dan Ige this saturday night now before we talk about the main card because we're going to talk about sean o'malley versus halion paiva uh, Got to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Prize Picks. So, guys, Prize Picks, in my opinion, is the easiest way to make money on daily fantasy sports. Basically, they have a projection, and you decide if they're right or wrong. You know what I mean? And you don't have to deal with thousands of stats nerds who have these lineup optimizers, and you know you have to pray to get that optimal lineup and hope that you hit that six team. You know, and man, then you can win big, you know, if you do better than thousands of, upon thousands of people. But here with prize picks is literally just go on their site, see what you disagree with and take it, take full advantage. Like last week, for example, um, Brendan Allen and Lewis Smolka, their significant strikes were set at like over under like 50 or 60 or something like that. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys are grapplers like these guys. So I was like, OK, I'm automatically smashing those unders that came through. And I would pay attention. Some of the spots I like to take advantage of are when they take grapplers, like I said, like Brendan Allen, like Smoka, and they set their significant strikes over under way too high. So this week, and pay attention where they set Julian Robertson because Julian Robertson ain't going to put up strike numbers. She's either going to get takedowns and subs or or not, but, but the strike numbers are going to be on the lower side. So if that significant strikes over under for Julian Robertson is at like 50 or something like that, smash that under, I'm telling you right now. So all half the battle listeners will receive an 100% instant deposit match up to $100 uh, using the code BATTLE at prizepix.com or download the PrizePix app. PrizePix is the simplest fantasy game on the market. You pick two to five players, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. So like I said, you don't have to just have that six-fighter lineup. You can do a two-fighter lineup, three, four, five, or mixed sports. They got no sharks, optimizers, mass multi-entries, literally just you versus the projection. And like I said, mixed sports entries. So take the under on Jillian Robertson, take the over on Dustin Poirier, and then take an under on NFL. You think Matt Ryan's going to fuck up this week? Take the under on him, you know? Shout out to my boy, Matty Ice. Price Picks has a slick, easy-to-use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. They got a 4.8 star rating in the App Store with fantastic reviews. So guys... Go to prizepicks.com, use the code BATTLE for an 100% deposit match up to $100, and give them a try today. I wholeheartedly uh, stand by what I said, that Price Picks is the easiest way to win money on daily fantasy sports. So take advantage of these projections that you disagree with and use the code BATTLE for that deposit match. Now, Shaq, kicking off the main card, we got Sugar Sean O'Malley. He's 14-1, taking on Halian Paiva, who's 21-3. And currently, they got Sugar Sean minus 300. The comeback on Halian is plus 250. So 
I mean, listen, I respect the fact that Sugar Sean's taking a tough fight here, man. People don't think that Halion's a tough fight, but me and you know he is. Ever since that debut against Kai Kara France, um, fantastic effort over there in New Zealand. It's had some really good results along the way. The Kyler Phillips fight, I mean, you saw the kind of adversity this guy's willing to overcome. Holly and Paiva is long. Now, he's not going to be longer than Sean O'Malley, but he was very long at flyweight. Had to move up, man. I mean, that that cut from Bantamweight to flyweight, that cut to flyweight in general just... I mean, we're going to talk about that in that next fight with Cody Garbrandt, but that cut is one of the most notorious cuts in the history of the sport. Hallian had to move up, comes in there against Kyler Phillips, gets a ranked win off the bat, had to over, almost died, but but ends up uh, coming out strong, getting the win. Here he's got Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley, long striker, diverse striker, um, and it's an O'Malley fight, so there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of talk. Uh, there's a lot of eyeballs on this fight. So, Shaq, I mean, you think Holly and Paiva can drag this into deep waters, maybe get on top of Sean, make him actually have to fight, or is it going to be target practice for Sean O'Malley here? You know, the early going could be target practice. Uh, I know O'Malley. He, I know he's really not, you know, mentioning Paiva too much this week, but he, I know he knows what's up. He beat his homeboy his last fight, uh, Kyler Phillips, him and O'Malley are good friends, and you know, um, Halion's got the heart of a lion, man. If you leave this kid hanging around, he will get to you at some point. Um, I think Halion can do a couple things that make it easier. You know, he's got to switch his style up and go more to the low kicks. I mean, we we know that uh, O'Malley's had problems with his legs in the past, and we know O'Malley's got you know sharper hands. I mean, his timing is definitely a, a little sharper than Halion's. Um, you know, Halion. I, I don't understand like this narrative that O'Malley is not fighting, uh, not fighting good opponents, man, is a little bit foolish to me. I think it's, you know, some, some casual shit, but like it, like, look, he's, um, the last fight, the guy, the green hair guy that he fought, I mean, that he didn't fight the, somebody pulled out. Like he had to, who was he supposed to fight again? Smoker. Smoker. So, you know, somebody ended up pulling a oh, man. Smoke is lucky that didn't happen. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, dude pulled out, man. He's fought Eddie Wineland, you know. I mean, look, Eddie's not the best, but he's still, a, you know. Uh, the legend. He's still, a, you know, a legend of the sport, man. Tarion Ware was a, at the time. I mean, I disagree with this whole. I mean, the kid's still young, man. Like, I disagree with this whole. uh you know, he's fighting a flyweight, like, like you know. I just Hallion was like the biggest flyweight. <laughs> <laughs> so Hallion couldn't make weight, and a lot of I see a lot of narratives saying Hallion's honestly lost three of his last four. I'm like, like guys, like come on, like y'all really th thought he lost to Zalgas? Like, bro, first off, okay, people are saying he got outstruck by uh, he he got outstruck by Zalgas. Well, like, so what? Jose Aldo got outstruck by Rob Font. You tell me, but there's a difference with who's landing harder, who's moving forward. Like, Rob Font outstruck Jose Aldo by a, a shit ton. And, oh, so that's why y'all are scoring rounds for, okay, I get it now. But uh, I think that, like, I just think it's going to be a tough fight. I think O'Malley might have to go 15 minutes in this one. Um, look, yeah, he's uh, he's going to hurt Hallion early. <laughs> I mean, Hallion leaves his chin up in the air a little bit, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's going to get touched, but, man, this kid, Halion, I've always liked something about him, man, like, especially in wars. Um, we'll see if O'Malley can take it. I, I think, look, I definitely think O'Malley should be favored, but from a uh, betting perspective, it's dog or pass because I just think there's certain things that Halion could do to 
to make this a little bit easier for himself. Like, go to the leg kicks. Um, we'll see if he does it. But even look at that last fight, man. Like, there's no quit in this kid. Um, he got dropped, like, twice in the, in the first round. And he comes back, drops... Um, Kyler Phillips and let's not forget Kyler Phillips beat Song Yadong man like that you can't just discredit that win like he's nothing you know nothing that he hasn't done anything um so I'm gonna go look I'm gonna pick O'Malley to probably win a a, a decision I think he probably will touch uh Halion up a lot but I think from a betting perspective it's dogger pass uh firstly Halley and Paiva has the second best fight in contender series history. You guys got to check out his fight with Alan Nascimento, who made his debut against Tajiri Ulanbekov. That was a fucking great fight, too. Um, so the first best fight in contender series history is Sodik Yusuf versus Mike Davis. Second best fight in contender series history, Halley on Paiva versus Alan Nascimento. Make sure you all check that out. Um, I mean, I've been impressed with Halley on this whole time, man. I mean, from the Nascimento fight, the Kai Kara France fight in his debut. Um, a lot of us thought he might have won, but regardless, that was a fucking great back and forth fight. Say if it wasn't in uh, New Zealand, <laughs> right? I mean, if that was at T-Mobile Arena, you know. But um, Bonturin fight, unfortunate cut. He was looking good early. The Mark De La Rosa fight knocks him out. Um, I don't think did anyone else knock out Mark De La Rosa in the UFC. Uh, uh, um, Zaga Zumagula. Firstly, shout out to my boy Zagas. You heard what my boy Zagas is on? You heard you heard the kind of life my boy Zagas is living? Nah. Oh, he's got two wives and six kids. Oh, yeah, so you know, there's a little bit of Zagas in all of us. So shout out to my boy Zagas living that life. Um, you know, can't there's wait for poly, uh polygamy. Yeah, the, the one that's yeah. <laughs> we can't wait for his next fight. Um I hope he gets one. Man. Oh, he, he was, he he was coming at he was coming at Kate, but he got tired. <laughs> uh, he'll he'll get another fight, man. Zagas brings it, man. Um, and then Kyler Phillips, uh, Kyler was like the next hot stud, man. Like Kyler was the guy that people were like, man, like this is like the. I mean, he looks like Jesus, right? He was like the second coming of Christ in the division, and Halion took his ass whooping like a man in that first round. Comes back in the second and third and wins those rounds, man. And whether you scored a draw or a decision for Halion, like you can, we can all agree, like similar to Cachoeira, Halion's willing to die in there. And I just don't think that O'Malley is. Um, now, granted, it might not reach that point, but the reason I bring it up is because if something happens to go wrong, if Halion gets on top of O'Malley and starts dropping elbows, if Halion deadens that nerve on that leg which that leg's been compromised not just in the cheeto fight but in the sukumta fight as well if stuff starts to not go 100 percent right for o'malley a guy like halion you give him any kind of momentum you give him an inch he's going to take a mile so that's why you know i might be tempted to take a half unit shot on halion paiva in this spot um you know shout out to my boy Shaq for betting him against kyler phillips like you see a number like that on a guy like this who's going to fight for your money and it could pay off. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I got a similar line against Kai Kyler France. I thought I won that fight. You got a similar fight. You got a similar line against Kyler. You did win that fight. So now against O'Malley, look, I think O'Malley's going to light him up. That, that That's the bottom line. O'Malley's going to be doing his thing, switching his stances, those long strikes, adding up the volume. Uh, Hallian does have a bit of that tall man defense. It's just, you know, like I said, when it's a dog fight, things get different. <laughs> it, once we get past this initial part and both guys are tired, that's where I'm worried for O'Malley because I don't have any questions about O'Malley offensively. I got questions about O'Malley defensively and ment mentality wise. Like, I don't know 
what it what his mindset is when he goes through adversity and i need to find that out and that might be tested here so give me o'malley but i i do agree with you that it's dog or pass and i might take a half unit shot but give me o'malley for the dub though now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a match between Kai Kara France. He's 22 and 9, welcoming the former Bantamweight champion, Cody Garbrandt, who's 12 and 4, to the flyweight division. And currently, they got Cody Garbrandt, depends where you look, um, minus 150. The comeback on Kai Kara France is plus 120. So, Shaq, uh, we've talked about this many times. That drop to flyweight, one of the most notorious cuts in the history of the sport. Guys just don't look the same. I mean, Ask Holly and Paiva why he had to move up to Bantamway. Ask Davison Figueredo why he had to leave Brazil and go to live with Henry Cejudo, right? Like, this cut to flyweight is just different. Ask, ask TJ Dillashaw why, like, all of a sudden his speed, his durability, everything is completely gone. Then the next fight, he fights Corey Sanhagen at Bantamway. He's eating flush knees to the chin and not going down. So I'm just saying that cut to flyweight is completely different now. You can make the argument, Shaq. I mean, and I'm sure you will make this argument. Cody Garbrandt's fought the better guys, whether it's the Dominic Cruises, whether it's the TJ Dillashaws, the Rob Fonts. Um, he's been in there with better guys than Kai Kara France. But, I mean, we got to address this weight class. How do you think this guy performs at flyweight where there are no breaks, where it's constant, constant action, it's a different kind of speed, and there were already durability questions for Garbrandt. Losing those extra 10 pounds, that's going to take a little padding away from his chin. So how, how do you see this one going on? Yeah, you know, from the sounds of it, it seems like everyone is uh, concerned about that. But uh, I'm not going to put that much stock into it at all just because Cody's doctor, man. This guy, uh, I actually we actually follow each other. Um, his name is uh, Matteo Capo. He's from Italy. Marvin's doctor, uh, Giga, Dariush, like all these dudes. Uh he was helping Lauren Murphy as well get her career back on track. So um, I think it's like doc, Dr. Capo or something like that is his Twitter. But this guy, like, is a real doctor. Cody said he's been working with him for seven months. And so it's not like a, a quick, uh, quick little thing, like a few months or two months like or weeks. Like, this has been a long process, and I, and I think he's doing it properly. He doesn't doesn't look bad to me at all man i know we'll, we'll see on uh tomorrow but kai kara friend from the sounds of it has a lot of narratives in his head like oh he's not gonna make the weight right and um you know he's not gonna be able to take a shot but i don't like when fighters have these pre uh you know notions in their head man you gotta you gotta expect the best guy to come up every interview i hear this guy he's like he he's gonna be uh done what if he's what if he's not done uh after this wake up what if he feels fine <laughs> you know what i'm saying and guy car france we know what he's we know what he does he likes to swing that big right hand knocked out um sponsoring uh that, yeah, that was his last fight but man uh, there's always kai car i'm not i've always questioned if he was the, the 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 toughest guy but you know he uh his last few performances man i mean even in that fight with bonserine he was losing the whole round bonserine just hit that uh what I like to call the Nova, and he, got, he got, you know, sometimes those Brazilians need a rest, and he uh, he couldn't get it. He got cracked with a shot, man. But you know, I've seen a, a Kai Car France, like, I mean, good fighter, but sometimes you know, like the Tyson Am fight, wasn't too impressed with that performance. Um, the Halion fight, he was able to get the win. He, he showed some heart there, I guess. The what about the raw dog fight? I mean, he got absolutely drilled by a guy that was in uh, what his second UFC fight at the time, and 
he kind of got kind of exposed with that duck in the head down. I feel like he only has a few weapons, to be honest. But I think Cody Garbrandt's going to be fine from this weight cut just due to the, the doctor I was mentioning before. And I think he's going to knock Kai Car France out in the first round, man. I think Kai Car France, um, you know, when he fights like, you know, the uh, a former champion or a, or a uh, you know, someone on that high level, he gets exposed. Cardi, Cody Garbrandt, I mean... At the end of the day, at bantamweight, I know he lost to Pedro Font. Um, I just think his, he was getting washed out at 135s, man. I mean, you see how big Rob Font is. You see, you know, uh, the Pedro fight was, that was just, a uh, that was when Cody was doing, that's when Danny Castillo was like, Cody, no. <laughs> like, uh, Cody, get out of there. Like, that was just more of a, a tactical uh, mental error. I think if his mind is in check and he sounds like, a, you know, um, a much more pleasant guy instead of, you know, trying to fight guys, you know, on fight week and things like that, or getting into a backstage with Peter Ian and things like that. But uh, I think that, I think he's going to win this fight, man. I actually think he's going to surprise a lot of people, make a, a name for himself at flyweight. And uh, we'll have a new name at flyweight, man. If Cody Garbrandt can win this fight, man, woo, you know, he'll be, he'll, they'll try to push him into a title shot real quick. So I think uh, he was already scheduled to fight Figueredo at one point. Um, but, you know, he got COVID, I believe. So I'm going to go with Cody Garbrandt to knock Kai Kara out in the first round. Um, and I think he's going to make a name for himself at Flyweight. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I like the I like the predict uh, the prediction, man. It'd be huge for the Flyweight division to see a guy like Cody Garbrandt have success there. Uh, he's an immediate big name spiked into the conversation in a blooming division. So. You know, let's see what happens. But, man, I still have my concerns about this weight class. Um, I do agree with you. I like everything I've heard him say. Um, sounds like he's in a good place mentally. And I think if they fought at Bantamweight, that Cody would maybe knock him out, maybe bully him and, you know, teach him a lesson. But I don't know, man, the speed difference. Not And, look, Cody was known for being the faster guy at Bantamweight. I'm not sure he's going to be the faster guy at Flyweight anymore. Um. But I do agree that at times, you know, Kai Car France, he does great early, but as fights start to get tougher and tougher, he might kind of, you know, break in fights. I mean, we noticed this back when he fought Pantoja on the Ultimate Fighter. So this is nothing new. But I'm still just sketched out about what feels kind of like a desperation move to to flyweight. And I think that the speed and the durability is going to hold up on the Kai Car France side. So give me Kai Car France, but um i feel where you're coming from too man like i can't debate your points i just from based off the history of guys dropping a flyweight it's it, it's sketch a lot of the time man and even world champions like tj dillashaw and he was in there with cejudo i mean we we can't deny that right like there's a difference between cejudo and kai car france but kai's still a fast guy kai still has a lot of output trains at a great camp has the one hitter quitter um so I see this being a competitive fight. So I'm going to go Kai Car France for the upset here. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Jeff Neal. He's 13-4, taking on Santiago, the Argentine dagger, Ponzinibbio, who is 28-4. And, and currently, they got Santiago. Depends where you look, but minus 130. The comeback on Jeff Neal is plus 110. So both these guys almost died, man. I mean, Jeff Neal had sepsis. He had heart failure. Santiago had a staph infection that spread badly, and it was thought that both these guys would never fight again. They came back, 
Uh, they both looked terrible their first fights back. I mean, Santiago and Li Jingliang did not look like the same guy. Jeff's last two fights does not look like the same guy, but Miguel, uh, excuse me, but Santiago started to get his footing back when he fought Miguel Baeza. The first round was kind of questionable, but that second and third, I think we started to see him start to, you know, um, shake off the rust a little bit, man. Um, finally started to look like the Santiago Ponzinibbio that we know and love. The, the that jab that makes people think it's an eye poke, just a uh, gunny. You can't eye poke a chin, my man. Uh, that straight right, that face plants, dudes. The calf kicks, his takedown defense. Santiago Ponzinibbio is one of the best welterweights on planet Earth. And Jeff Neal, incredibly fast, southpaw, nasty high kicks, good straight punches. Um, I, I love watching Jeff Neal fight. It just seems that Jeff Neal has not recovered from. You know, the unfortunate thing he went through, man. I mean, the, the Wonder Boy fight, I get that it's Wonder Boy, but I thought Jeff Neal might be able to match him in the speed department. The next fighting is Neil Magny. I've seen tons of guys run through Neil Magny, whether it's Pons, whether it's Larkin, whether it's RDA. Jeff Neal had a decent first round, but there was a big drop off. I, I, I don't see the the same speed the same i just don't see the same guy that i used to maybe that changes here maybe he needed those to get those two fights behind him um and then there's the outside the cage shit you know him getting a dui whatever i mean i don't really care much about that i mean i i hope he's okay you know thank god he didn't get hurt he didn't hurt anybody so you know whatever maybe we don't know the full details so i don't put much stock into that but I think that Santiago Ponzinibbio right now, his last fight, he showed that he's back and I'm not convinced Jeff Neal is. So give me Santiago Ponzinibbio to win a war of attrition here once again. Yeah, you know, from the sounds of it, the whole Jeff Neal outside the cage is, is an exaggeration. Like, uh, you know, the article made it seem like he's like riding around with the with the gun in his lap and <laughs> wasted and shit. Like Jeff's like, dude, no. Like fucking, you know, um, it was Thanksgiving, you know, he had a couple of drinks on Thanksgiving and he uh, decided to uh, hop in the car and drive. Definitely a mistake, but, um, you know, we all make mistakes, man. And uh, Ponzinibbio, yeah, it looked like he woke up in that uh, second, that third round fight against Miguel. But, you know, I feel like I don't think Miguel's on Jeff's level yet. And I think that uh, he still has lost a step. You know, I, he definitely look good but Miguel like has this bad problem with like stop he stops throwing and puts his back on the fence and kind of just stands there it happened with chaos as well um but yeah I think that Ponzinibbio has the momentum um Jeff Neal hasn't looked good his last two fights um you just gotta wonder if he does if he is fine you know I do think he's a little faster um maybe a little bit more accurate as well. But, you know, Ponzinibbio, man, he, he's a little bit, just if I go based on the last few fights, I mean, he, that last fight, he um, was a, just a little bit more rougher, a little bit more meaner. The first fight, he looked terrible. But, uh, you know, I got to go with Pons, too. I think that uh, he's just going to, yeah, like when a war, in a war of attrition, just be a little bit more aggressive while Jeff might be slightly still questioning himself. Um Man, I feel bad for Jeff, man, because his career could be taking a, a, a bad turn, um, you know, from where he was a, a few years ago to now. I mean, now it's like, dang, you know, I, I don't think he'll get cut, but one more fight and he will. But I think that uh, I think Ponzinibbio will edge it out just by being more aggressive, a little a little bit more meaner, throwing more jabs. So, yeah, I'll go with Pons. 
Co-main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division for the belt. We got the champion and the women's goat, Amanda Nunes. She's 21-4, and four, taking on Juliana Pena, who is 10-4. And, and currently they got Amanda Nunes minus 920. The comeback on Juliana is plus 610. Um, Juliana's been running her mouth, uh, Shaq. And, you know, actually I'm glad she has because – you know, let's let's bring more attention to this fight. Like, let's get Amanda motivated. Let's get her excited. I mean, because what you got to worry about with these goats is like um, they got so much to lose that sometimes they can kind of coast at times or take their foot off the pedal. You know, what's the what's the motivation anymore? You've accomplished everything there is to accomplish. But Juliana running her mouth the way she has, I think that will you know, let Amanda Nunes wake up a little bit extra earlier in the mornings, get the, you know, run that extra mile and, you know, not not cheat on her diet and just these little things to, to prove a point here. I think that Amanda Nunes is going to come out here and run through Juliana Pena. I mean, look, we're talking about it at minus 900, so, you know, I don't need to sit here forever and make my points, but the thing with Juliana Pena is her striking is extremely sloppy. Where she does best is when she gets on top of people, but she's been submitted in two of her last four fights, man, and um, I think that Amanda Nunes is going to come out here, establish that jab, the calf kicks, the big shots over the top, and when Juliana Pena shoots on a sloppy takedown from a mile out, I think that Amanda Nunes is going to sprawl on her, and I'm thinking a Darce or Anaconda choke finish in the first round. So give me Amanda Nunes to defend her belt and still. Yeah, you know, I always uh, was a fan of Juliana. You know, she's, you know, very spicy. She likes to run her mouth a lot. Uh, you know, she that's just the way she is, man. Um, she's making, you know, at least, like, it's not like Amanda Nunes is, Amanda Nunes versus, like, Felicia Spencer or something where we're just like, oh, okay, let's just get this over with. But, like, you know, I'm actually excited for the fight, man, because Juliana, she is very intense. But, look, let's just keep it up. Be honest here. There's no chance she wins this fight. I mean, it's like she's – Amanda's better everywhere. Unless Amanda didn't train, uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like she's going to lose. But, uh, you, you know, I'm interested to see how long Juliana can make it. But, yeah, I mean, let's not forget she got subbed by, you know, who a lot of people say uh, has no ground game. My girl, Queen GDR, had to put her to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm pretty sure that was GDR's first submission, too. So, um, yeah, you got to go with Amanda Nunes here by whatever she wants. And before we talk about the main event, everybody do us a huge favor smash that like button thank you so much subscribe to this channel we truly appreciate it now Shaq, we've been waiting a long time for this main event of the evening for the undisputed lightweight belt we got the champ charles dubronx Oliveira. he's 31 and 8 taking on dustin the diamond poirier who's 28 and 6 and currently they got Depends where you look. Minus 155 Poirier. The comeback on Dubronx is plus 135. Uh, Shaq, just, I mean, what, what an unbelievable fight, right? Like I said at the beginning of the show, you got the guy with the most submissions in UFC history, most bonuses in Charles Oliveira taking on the guy, the, the lightweight knockout king. Uh, Dustin has the most knockouts in lightweight history. And the resumes on these two, the performances, just everything. This is truly one of the best title fights we've ever had in the history of the sport. I can see this being the kind of rivalry where these guys end up fighting, you know, two, three times. Uh, Charles Oliveira, it's not just the fact that he's got the most submissions in UFC history, man. I mean, he's tall for the weight class. He's got that long body. He's got, I mean, you won his belt with punches. I mean, that left hook was very clean. He's got the flying knees. 
his submission series is just disgusting. He'll take you from Anaconda to Dars to rear naked choke to guillotine to armbar to triangle. I mean, this guy is a stud on the mat. His wrestling, he's got double legs. He's got body lock takedowns. And the most important thing, because like I said, I've never criticized his jujitsu even 10 years ago or his striking or anything. I've always thought he was a phenom and a talent. It was just about the mental. And the David Tamor fight got dropped, came back, destroyed the guy. The Michael Chandler fight got dropped, came back, finished the guy. So I'm seeing him overcome adversity. Now, the spot I'm curious about, if he can still overcome adversity, is a spot similar to when he fought Felder. Can he run Dustin Poirier through the submission uh, through the submission series, end up on his back with Dustin on top of him and not break? That's what I'm questioning because we know he can overcome knockdowns. We've seen that in those two fights I mentioned, but can he run you through the series and not break if you survive it? And I've seen Dustin survive some very deep submission attempts. And also on the feet, um, I love how Dustin switches his stances. I mean, he's got knockout power in both hands. And when I talk about him switching stances, I mean, you know, when he's orthodox, uh, he can use his left hand as a jab. When he's southpaw, he can use his right hand as a jab. I mean, this guy can fire from both directions. Don't sleep on his kicks either, man. That fight against Max Holloway, I loved how he was going upstairs and then mixing down with the calf kicks. Uh, the calf kicks against Conor McGregor were a huge weapon. And his durability at 55s is just so much better than it was at, at 45s, man. I mean, I was worried after the Hooker fight, you know, in that second Conor fight, like if he ate those shots from Hooker, how is he going to eat these shots from Conor? He ate the shots from Conor, no problem. And then when it was his turn to land on Conor, Conor went to sleep. So... It's pretty amazing, and let's just date back to the beginning of you know Dustin's UFC career. So it was originally supposed to be Jose Aldo versus Josh Grisby for the UFC featherweight title. Josh Grisby was a guy that was undefeated in the WEC, 4-0 with four finishes, including against guys like Mark Hominick. Josh Grisby was thought of to be the guy to give Jose Aldo his toughest test. This was UFC 125, the night Frankie Edgar fought Gray Maynard. So Jose Aldo pulls out the fight. Then they call this random new kid, Dustin Poirier, to come fight Josh Grisby. Dustin Poirier beat up Josh Grisby so bad to a point where we never heard from Josh Grisby ever again. And it takes uh, matters uh, further. Josh Grisby ends up getting in all this kind of trouble. I mean, I think... He Dust fought a few times after that. No, he lost all his fights after yeah, that. But... Like, like, he never won a fight again is what I'm saying. Um, Dustin messed this guy up and... That's when I first saw Dustin. I was like, oh, my God, like this guy might be a problem down the line. Ends up, you know, seeing what a big fight is like, the big fight environment, like in that first uh, McGregor fight didn't go his way. Had some ups, had some downs, finally goes up to 55s, looks amazing initially, had the setback to Michael Johnson. And then after that, my God, the run he's been on, I mean, beating uh, Justin Gaethje, beating Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Anthony Pettis. And it's like, it's not just those names on his resume. It's certain things that are happening in those fights. With Justin Gaethje, not only did he have to overcome the leg kicks, but um, you saw the kind of output he threw against Gaethje. I mean, he threw over 300 strikes. And then the big question against Holloway, the UFC output king, is like, can you match his output? Dustin goes out there. Let me read the exact numbers um, just so everyone understands what I'm talking about here. So in the Gaethje fight, Dustin Poirier goes out there against Justin Gaethje. 
and he throws 350 strikes. Okay. So then the question is, well, can he max, can you match that output of a guy like Max Holloway? He goes in there against Max Holloway. He throws 381 strikes, right? So it's not just the UFC KO King. Cause when you think of KO Kings, you think, Oh, KO, if you can't get the KO, then what this guy can throw for all five rounds at a very high clip. He's also got an opportunistic submission game of his own. Um, I know Lei Lee's getting this reputation for jumping gui, uh, guillotine, but I know you remember the those times that he hit those Darce chokes uh, back in the day, man. So Dustin's the complete package, but so is Charles Oliveira, man. I mean, Charles Oliveira, like I said, most submissions in UFC history, and he's finally overcoming adversity. When we first saw him fight Darren Elkins and Efrain, I was like, oh, my God, who is this guy? Who is this young phenom? So to see them meet all these years later for the belt is truly incredible. But what I really think is going to happen is that Dustin Poirier is going to hurt Charles Oliveira standing. And he's not going to make the meathead mistake that a Michael Chandler made. He's not going to make the unseasoned green errors that a guy like David Taymor made. When Dustin Poirier has you hurt, he's got the famous patented Dustin Poirier blitz, which I think is the best finishing, you know, sequence in all of MMA. I mean, anytime Dustin Poirier has you hurt, I mean, the punches and bunches and the way he's defensively responsible in those blitzes, man, his head movement's gotten so much better. So give me Dustin Poirier to come out here and do something we've been waiting for him to do for 10-plus years, touch that undisputed gold and new Dustin Poirier. Yeah, I mean, this is a great fight. Uh, I agree with most of everything. You know, Charles Oliveira, I mean, this dude's very dangerous, man. I mean, you mess up on the ground with this guy, it could be over like that. I mean... That's how good he is on the uh, submission game and his stand-up's getting better. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, I agree with the Michael Chandler thing. You know, Michael Chandler that whole week was saying first-round KO. Like, you can't think of uh, title fights like that. I don't think Michael Chandler has anywhere near the composure, composure or just, you know, mental toughness in these words. Like I've said multiple times, Chandler is, you know, a big puncher for a round. But after that, I mean, he, it's a big dip-off and – you know, he's not necessarily known for doing well in wars. Um, I mean, that's just the honest truth about it. So I think that uh, Dustin Poirier has you heard like that. I know, like I said, Charles Oliveira is one of maybe be the most dangerous uh, in terms of overall game. But in terms of finishing instinct, man, I don't think there's anybody uh, better than Dustin Poirier. Once we sense, you know, that you're hurt, it's about to be a, a 30 punch combo coming your way. So, you know, uh it's going to be a tough fight, man. Look, I understand why people took the Charles at dog money. I mean, you get a great fighter at plus one. I mean, I, I don't get blame the you. champ at plus 150. Yeah, hey. I, don't, I don't blame you. Um, but, uh, you know, man, this is Dustin Poise, like one of these guys where like, do he rises to the occasion? Like, I know people are going to sit here and be like, oh, Conor McGregor's not the same. But do you know, do you know the type of bright lights that is the stage that is like, you know, this is going to be on a big stage, too. Um, and I feel like Dustin might not matter, but I feel like Dustin Poye does better when the, the lights are brighter, man. I feel like, uh, I mean, let's not forget he stopped Max Holloway's 13-fight winning streak. And, well, you know, I know the 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 counters are going to be like, but well, he's a featherweight and all this stuff like that. I mean, trust you saw me. what Max did to Charles? Yeah, like, you know, it was that featherweight. But trust me, Max Holloway could be some lightweights, man. <laughs> like... I mean, he's throwing, like, 500 punches a fight. Like, you know how tired you're going to be after that? <laughs> like, uh, 
I just think Dustin Poirier is in a, a rise to the occasion type of guy. Look, 100% he could get subbed. I mean, there's no there's no denying that. This guy, Charles Oliveira, subbed a lot of guys. But, you know, I feel like his coaching staff has been progressively talking a lot and, you know, saying Dustin's scared of this and Dustin's scared of that. And, you know, I don't think they have the maturity on this level yet, man. I think, uh, you know, when those lights are bright, you know, if, if things aren't going good, then the, the corner starts panicking, you know. Uh, and, you know, like Michael Chandler like that's just a like you said a, a meathead a, a meathead error man like Chandler had Gaethje hurt too in the first round and then what happened after that uh you know look Chandler's a, a good fighter I'm not I don't want to rag on him too much but he's a great fighter just not a UFC champ yeah he's just not a UFC champion level fighter but a uh, great fighter but I just think Dustin Poya has a lot more composure and I think that uh you know if we touch Charles Oliveira and get him hurt that we're not going to give up a lead, a lead like that. We're not going to let momentum swing like that. I mean, just look at the uh, – I know people are going to say Hooker's not on the left, but look, Dan Hooker gave it his all in those first two. I mean, he tried to knock Dustin out. He gave it his all, and, you know, it didn't work out, and he ended up getting his career changed. Like, that's the type of ass weapons Dustin can hand out. Um, You know, had him in the Dagestani handcuff as well, and, you know – pounded his face <laughs> i mean did you see hook the ufc destined uh after that like how hooker's face looked man i mean it was bad um but yeah man i respect charles Oliveira. it could definitely go his way i mean but i just think dustin's worked too hard man um i know charles has too but like it's just a, i just think it's destiny man i think uh he's not i don't i just don't see him losing this fight man i think uh he performs better on the brighter stage. I think uh, he'll be more comfortable in those situations like that. And I think he knocks Charles out. I can't say what round. It could be a war. It could be short. But I just see him uh, taking advantage of his opportunity when he gets Charles hurt. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Everybody do us a favor. Smash that like button. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC 269? My fight to watch. Um, hmm. My fight to watch is going to be Jeff Neal versus Pons, man. I think uh, it's, man, Jeff Neal, he needs this one bad. Like, he can't lose three in a row. And Pons, you know, he's got to keep that. Uh, <laughs> he's got to keep that. uh that momentum going, man, so we could get back into the top 10. You know, that Lee Jing Yang fight kind of set him back a little bit. So uh, that's my fight to watch. I think it could be fight of the night, too. I mean, maybe we see a desperate, hungry Jeff Neal who needs a win. And I know Pons ain't trying to take no more steps back. Uh, he's been, Pons has been calling out a lot of people on his Instagram. He's been saying, he's been talking to Bilal a lot. He's been, uh, he's been talking to, uh, who else was he talking shit to? But he's been, he, I know he was talking shit to Bilal saying that he's not really top 10 and stuff like that and, uh, and saying that he would knock him out. But, you know, Bilal has got other, he's fighting Wonder Boys, you know, so he's like not even worried about that. But uh, that's my fight to watch. My fight to watch is Kai Kara France versus Cody Garbrandt. I mean, firstly, every Cody Garbrandt fight is super exciting. Uh, and Kai Car France comes to bang. These are two dance partners that are going to go in there, and they're going to stand and trade. Maybe a little wrestling on the Garbrandt side, but I, I see them standing and trading, most likely until one man falls or a three-round exciting fight. It's going to answer a lot of questions. I mean, how does this weight cut to 125 go for a guy like Cody Garbrandt? I mean, he comes out here and wins this fight. All of a sudden, he's in the mix, and he's injecting some extra life 
to the blossoming flyweight division, which has been getting better by the day. You know, thank God for uh, Cejudo, Davis, and Figueroa and Moreno for saving the flyweight division. Because you remember with that other champ, they were trying to get rid of the weight class. So thank God for these guys. Oh, the guy that was trying to fight Ray Borg. Yeah, the, the guy that's getting knocked out <laughs> in Japan these days. So Cody Garbrandt comes in here. He wins this fight. All, all of a sudden, he's in the mix. Kai Car France wins this fight. That's the biggest win of his career. It's going to be a guaranteed big fight for him next. So this is a huge fight in the flyweight division. And for that reason, it's my fight to watch. But Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 269? Um, my fighter to watch is going to gonna be uh dominic cruz man i feel like every time this guy competes it's like a uh you know it's like a special occasion like jose aldo or you know um i feel like this guy's gonna be in the hall of fame for sure um but like man I, every time he wins it just seems like a special moment to me he's got a tough fight with uh pedro munoz and one thing i like about don man he might be a little bit of a dick but he speak he speaks his mind and to be honest man it's the truth. Like I remember when he sat down with TJ Dillashaw and, you know, kind of broken mentally, like that's the type of guy he is. He can, he can just read you by looking at you and just start telling you things about yourself, man. So Dominic Cruz is one of my favorite bantamweights, one of my favorite fighters period of all time. So he's my fighter to watch. Yeah. My fighter to watch is Josh Emmett, man. I mean, look, he had so much momentum. Then he had the unfortunate injury. And if he comes out here, and beats a guy like Dan Ige impressively. He'll be on a four or five win streak. And also, I mean, he could add to his record for most knockdowns in, in featherweight history. And, and not to mention, like, let me pull up the rankings real quick. Because a guy like Emmett wins here, and all of a sudden, because currently he's number seven. He's literally right behind Giga Chikadze, Arnold Allen, Calvin Cater, Korean Zombie, Yair, Ortega, Holloway, Volk. So literally every single fight that he gets from here on out, if he beats Dan Ige, is going to be a huge fight with title Maybe implications. Vince. I mean, he you never know. He could even slide in there and fight for a title because Max Holloway has been fucking around a little bit talking about how, oh, he doesn't even need to fight for the belt. He's got five belts at home. Like, oh, I'm on the short list to fight Conor McGregor. Like, Max is... Max seems like he doesn't even give a shit about fighting Volk. So if that's really the case and they can't get something done, I could see Josh Emmett slide in there and fight Volk real quick. I don't don't be surprised, man, because Giga and Calvin are about to throw down in January, and I hear Volk is trying to make a quick turnaround. So um, don't don't be surprised if Emmett gets a big win and slides into the title conversation. So for that reason, um, Emmett is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night live at the T-Mobile Arena. USC 269, Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus Dustin the Diamond Pore for the undisputed lightweight belt. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We truly appreciate everybody's support. Thank you so much. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week for the last card of the year. And then after that, we'll be uh, doing our year-end show with, you know, our KO of the year, fighter of the year, submission of the year, jobber of the year. Uh, it's going to be a tight race between Aljo and Woodley on that one uh, and uh, upset of the year. So many other things to talk about. Um, so, yeah, two more big shows coming up. Look forward to it. Make sure you all hit up our sponsor, Prize Picks, and use the code BATTLE for an 100% deposit match up to $100. 
That's uh, with code BATTLE at PrizePix. So, guys, thank you all very, very much. We truly appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.